This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. A tweet from our buddy Derek James, 1590ESPN.com's Derek James. One test for Judd to be a Miami fan if Miami's going to be your backup team. Did Ray Lewis do it? Mm, that's not important right now. What's important is what's important is the future going forward because the past is the past, and when the past is the past, that means it's not the future. What did he say? He, this is how you turned your legend into legacy. <laughs> what do you do going forward? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Ray, I, uh, can we just ask you a few specific questions about the incidents in Atlanta from twenty years ago? I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about my legacy and what God has planned for me. No, but we want to ask what happened to the white bloodstained suit. Uh, I'm not. I'm not here to answer questions about the past. I'm here to guide y'all forward to the light. Like, that, no, right. that night in Buckhead taught me a lot about things, and <laughs> what I learned that night is drinks in Buckhead are too expensive. And because of that, the Lord said to me, "Don't drink there no more, Ray." So I've quit drinking. Does Ray Lewis drink? I'm guessing Ray Lewis probably doesn't. I have no. I, I have no. I have no idea. But my my guess is, if, if you asked him for the truth, you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't get it. Can we get back to Johan Santana here? Yeah. Because I was just looking at the 2018 Hall of Fame ballot once again, in which Johan Santana finished 21st in percentage of votes. You got to get at least 5% of the vote to stay on the ballot and go forward and continue to push for your case. And Johan Santana finished with 2.4% of the vote. Only 10 voters put Johan Santana on their ballot. And I, I, don't, I don't even think this, this conversation has to be about whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. Which I'd love to have that debate because I would vote for him. And it's not just a homer vote. I think peak performance is more important than longevity. They're both important, but peak performance is more important than longevity. That's why Kirby Puckett's a Hall of Famer. That's why Sandy Koufax is a Hall of Famer. But I saw a guy near the top, and a guy who's probably going to get in, if not this upcoming year, for sure in a couple years. When you get to 63.5% of the vote in only your fifth year, you're going to get in, right? Yeah. Mike Mussina. Yep, he's going to get in. Absolutely, yes. Mike Messina is going to be a Hall of Famer. And I think, you know, Mike Messina, he, how many Cy Youngs did he have? He had to have won a World Series for sure with the Yankees, right? Like, he's Mike Messina, man. He's one of the better pitchers of that era. Mm-hmm. Mike Messina never led the league in ERA. He never led the league in strikeouts. Mm-hmm. He has zero Cy Young awards. He has zero World Series rings. The only thing Mike Mussina has that Johan Santana doesn't is longevity. And therefore, some counting stats, right? Because of that, he threw more innings, and, and yada, yada. Keep in mind, markets in which he spent the, the prime years of his career. Well, New York for about a decade. Yeah, but the East Coast Baltimore helps, Baltimore for a long time. Baltimore helps, too. But So Mike, Mike Mussina and Johan Santana, and I'll, I'll put Kurt Schilling in the group, too. I think Kurt Schilling's eventually going to get in, although his political commentary has... I'm guessing that's that's the reason why his voting percentage has actually dropped off over the past couple of years. I think Kurt Schilling, who has 51% of the vote, I think he gets in. I think he should get in. Mm-hmm. But Kurt Schilling is going to get in because of postseason performance, which is valid. Mike Messina is going to get in because of longevity. And yep. Johan Santana gets 2% of the vote because he lacks both of those two things. I would ding him more for playoff 
like a lack of World Series rings and in, in performances late into October. Yep. Which you know, a lot of that's not his fault. He just like played for the Twins and they had a bunch of guys who couldn't hit Yankee pitching and yeah and etc. But if I'm ranking Mucina, Schilling, and Johan based on in the order in which they should be Hall of Famers, I think Schilling is number one, and I think Johan's number two above Mike Mucina. And the fact that Johan doesn't even get to enter this debate for the next few years is ridiculous to me. Mike Mucina was never at any point during his career regarded as the surefire best pitcher in baseball. Yep. Johan was for like seven years. Mucina was incredibly solid, but yes. Uh, Colfax, three World Series, and in eight playoff appearances, a 0.95 ERA. Santana didn't reach one, 3.95 e- e- ERA in the playoffs. I think the two things that completely ding unfairly probably, but what completely gets Santana is market in which he spent his prime years. And if he, I, I do believe that if he had gone, if the Twins had gone to the 2006 World Series and he had pitched well and they won it, yeah, he goes in. He goes in. I also think this. Back up Santana's career. Let's replace Santana's, let's place his career in the Colfax era. I think he gets in. Because at that time, baseball players were more deity. So like Colfax was, Colfax's name is is like God in baseball, right? And I think if you if you take the Santana's prime years and you put him on the, let's say, 1960 to 67 Yankees or something like that, I think he gets in at that time. Colfax went in, not only without a debate, first ballot. Mm-hmm. 1972. He went in first ballot. Like, there was no, there was never a question of, did he play long enough? Are the counting stats yeah. there? But the World, that, the World Series, if you have three World Series rings, though, that does put you over the top. Like sure. Santana and Colfax are only comparable regular season. Mm-hmm. And Colfax gets in instantly because of the postseason performances and everything you just mentioned. Something though, you, you there there is a number you can use to compare ERA, for instance, across era. ERA plus basically takes the average ERA for your era for each individual season, and then for your career when you played, and it and it and, it, and so one hundred is an average ERA plus. Okay. It just converts it to to uh, to be to line up era versus era. And Johan Santana had a better career ERA compared to the pitchers in his era. Than Sandy Koufax did, mm-hmm. so it really it really comes down to longevity and lack of a postseason appearance. And I would be okay if you held those two things against him enough to say he's not a Hall of Famer. But the fact that Mike Messina is going to get in, and he doesn't have a ring, he doesn't have a sigh, he has zero ERA titles, zero strikeout titles. He just pitched for like twenty years at a re- he's Hall of very good, and he's Hall of played really long time. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that he has, and uh, it's annoying. It's just annoying to me. Like this, this weekend was the most fanfare Johan Santana's career is going to get. Yeah, which is too bad. No one's going to talk about him ever again outside of Minnesota. But the fact, the fact that he couldn't get on on the ballot for an extended period Mm -hmm. makes no sense. Like that makes no sense. Here are some of the other guys in and around him on the ballot. So there are 19 guys from the 2018 ballot who at least get to move forward. One of them is Billy Wagner. Now Billy Wagner is a really good. Closer and a really good pitcher throughout the what the nineties and early two thousands. Yep. But Billy Wagner, if you said, okay, who who are the best closers of like the late nineties and into the two thousands? In order, you would say Mariana Rivera, Trevor Hoffman. Both those guys are in. From there, you could start to debate number three. Billy Wagner might be in the mix at number three. I would put, even though his career was he didn't really blossom until he was later in his career. Joe Nathan, I thought. Per season, Joe Nathan was every bit, if not 
a better closer than Billy Wagner was. Billy Wagner just, again, longevity plays in there. So not to trash Billy Wagner because I'm fine with him getting 47 votes. But if Johan Santana gets 10 and Billy Wagner gets 47, what so, planet do you live on? Something's like, what are you, wrong. What are you looking at? Why would why would Bill, why, in what world would Billy Wagner be a more valuable pitcher and or have better Hall of Fame credentials than Johan Santana? It doesn't make sense to me. No, should it we doesn't. take a call on this? Six five one six four six eight two five five. Hey, Paul. Hey, guys. What's up, Paul? Well, I got a question, and then a question based on the question. <laughs> uh, uh, would you both put Tony Oliva in based on peak performance? Yes, he he deserves it based on that. Probably he does. Probably. Okay, so one of the things I have trouble with all the Hall of Fames is that it, it, it almost morphs into a Hall of Champions, and I don't like that. And it's because of that, like, Neil Broughton's not in the, the NHL Hall of Fame, which is absurd uh, that he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, and, and he won a Stanley Cup. <laughs> Yet, you know, because he's not on the East Coast, because Sandy Koufax is in because of the World Series, is it the Hall of Champions, or is it the Hall of Fame? And then would you guys change the parameters for getting in the hall to maybe just have hard, fast uh, statistics, whatever you want the statistics to be. I know, Phil, you don't care for wins, but, you know, whatever the statistics you want, if they reach this certain plateau, they're in no matter what, no debate. Thanks, Paul. I, I, as a, and I'm the, I'm the stat geek on the show. I don't think you can do I think there has to be a lot of subjectivity involved. So I wouldn't. I, I don't think there should be hard and fast stats unless you want to go like six hundred home Hall, runs or something. Halls of Fame, for the most part, to Paul's question, are based on the halls of we think so, but we're not quite sure. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. and and it comes down to you brought up the the case of uh, Schilling. I don't like him personally. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. if he's a Hall of Famer. He is Moss. Moss is a guy. Listen, if you came to me and just said, Judd, would you vote for Moss based on personality and and did you? like him i'd say absolutely not guess what first ballot yes he was and that was one case where they got it right but too much of this and baseball's biggest problem now as far as i'm concerned is the steroid guys because mm-hmm. that's so convoluted and and we're we're even now mixing up steroid guys who are borderline with guys who should go in barry bonds should go in barry bonds is a hall of fame baseball player he complete jerk and he cheated but you know what? It doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of mental gymnastics to say Barry Bonds and Clemens, another complete jerk, are Hall of Fame players. But we've now convoluted this so much because we've got this huge group of people, and we're like, well, is that guy Hall of Famer? And some of them are clearly, and that list is not big. But I believe that the ballot part of the problem with this entire process is the baseball ballot has gotten so confusing because you have everybody, as I've said for a long time, they're making up their own rules. Well, here, here's another one. So Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield received 47 votes to Johan's 10. Gary Sheffield was a really, really good hitter for a long time, for like 15 years. May or may not have been a PED guy. I don't know. But, and he, he certainly played in that era. But at any point, would you have said, oh, Gary Sheffield is the hitter of this like eight year stretch? Oh, he's a really good player. No. And, and you know what? In fairness, too, Tony Oliva, and I didn't see him play. So I did, I was born in the, I was born after his career was over. Tony Oliva is a borderline Hall of Famer. But even Tony Oliva, his his peak was from like the 1963, 1964-ish to the early 70s, and then his, his knees went shot, and that was it. Correct. So a little bit like Johan blew his shoulder out, Tommy John, and it was a shoulder issue, and by the time he was 32, it was just 
over for him. Mm-hmm. But Tony Oliva, when you look at the other hitters in that era, you would never say that Tony Oliva was, for an extended stretch, regarded as the best hitter in baseball. Not not in a league with Mickey Mantle still playing at a high level in the you know, mid-60s. Not in a league where Harmon Killebrew was right. one of the the great power hitters. You. You would never put Oliva at the top of that list. You you put Johan at the top of that list for like seven years. Yeah, that should matter more than it apparently has in the voting process. But, but the 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 comparison between the two comes down to this: what's being held against them is they didn't do it for twenty years, which and to they me didn't is not do it in October. Which to me is not well, and that that's not entirely fair. But yeah. I I can see that conversation way more than the, his body blew out for sure. And by the way, before it did, he was an unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. But because because his body failed him, he's not in. Yeah, that My, that to me makes makes no sense. Mike Mussina to Johan Santana. If you put Mike Mussina in and Johan Santana is not even a debate, then you only care about longevity. Absolutely, you only care about longevity. Um, speaking of this, like Hall of Fame writer debate. Terrell Owens opened up at his private separate ceremony at UT Chattanooga, but why he didn't choose to attend the uh, Canton, Ohio ceremony. Let's get to that. We'll talk to Derek Wetmore at the bottom of the hour, Matthew Collar from Vikings Training Camp, Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Doakley. On 1500 ESPN. Oh, no. Just check, just check Twitter. This Johan Mucina thing. What'd you got? The uh, the account for Mike Mussina's Hall of Fame candidacy has chimed in and is just all over my timeline. Mussina HOF. We want to see Mike Mussina in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and we're trying to help that happen one post at a time. How did they find? Oh, did, did you tweet? Did you tweet out your Mussina thoughts as well? Yeah, they must have a search for Mussina, and then they found it, and now you're going to be yeah. inundated with people who are very upset Listen, with he's, you. He's very good, and. Uh, and and the Mucina account is disputing. So if you can't see why Mucina is better than Very, I'm like, dude, you, I feel like another account that's not Mucina HOF should objectively argue this. Shillings, maybe it's the they shilling can come one. after you. Yeah, yeah. Let's six five one six four six eight two five five. Let's take a call here. Jeff, you're on the Morning, show, gentlemen. Hey, man. Hi, Jeff. Go ahead. Jeff. Morning, gentlemen. Yeah. Yep. Fire away, We're Jeff. Here. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, say uh. Uh, Johan Santana. You know, I, he's like one of my favorite twins, and I'm still mad at the twins for trading him. However, the bottom line is he just doesn't have enough to get in. You can, you can throw out three, four, five years of really good, but you, I mean, you should really have like 10, 15 years. You know, um, he doesn't have as many wins as Colfax. He wasn't anywhere near as dominant as Colfax was. I'm sorry, Phil. You can compare numbers, but you, but it just it doesn't stack up, and he's not he's just not Hall of Fame material. Really? Okay, but those that, are all, but here's I, here's my argument. Thank you, Jeff. Those are a lot of just sort of is just like vague ways of he's not as dominant as Koufax. Okay, by by what by the eye test? Because I saw a guy with the most devastating changeup in recent baseball history when I Can watched Johan pitch. Give you the stats here because I've got the stats side by side. Seasons, Santana 12, Colfax 12, ERA plus, which you explained before. Uh, Santana 136, Colfax 131. 136 means better, by the way. Yeah, so so Santana actually uh, has a better ERA plus than Sandy did. A, a better ERA compared to ERA is a way to explain it to you. Right. Yeah. Wins, 
Santana 139, Colfax 165. Keep in mind, too, in Colfax's era, you stayed in games longer. You did. So so your opportunity to win games was presented on a more regular basis. Correct. Cy Young Awards, Colfax 3, Santana 2. Very easily could have been 3, but it was 2. All-Star Games, Colfax 7, Santana 4. ERA titles, Colfax 5, Santana 3. Triple Crowns, Colfax 3, Santana 1. So these are very these are very close. Like yeah, it's not po- a clear cut. Puts it over, but. Yes, and I get that, but but the point is, if you just call in and say that Santana, that's the whole point of this conversation. Is if you're dominant for an extended period of time, which Santana was, mm. do we then draw the line and say, okay, but you were not, you didn't continue to pitch long enough? My other two Santana peppies, and the caller Jeff just hit on one of them for sure. Is well, he was. It was, if you want to take his, you know, four years or whatever that he was good, okay, it was like nine. And, and, and people mistakenly throw out the two seasons where he was a part-time reliever, part-time starter in 2002 and 2003. Okay, in 2003, even though he wasn't a full-time starter, okay, he, he made 45 appearances. He only started eight games. He finished seven in the Cy Young voting. So even as a... As a guy who didn't start until halfway through the year but was dominant as a reliever, he still finished top seven in Cy Young Award voting and then won it the next year. He actually should have three Cy Young Awards. This is another thing, too. He got robbed in 2005 when Bartolo Colon, who was a great pitcher in his prime as well, but Bartolo Colon for the Los Angeles Angels went 21-8 and eight in an era where voters still loved wins. Oh, yeah, 21 wins. wins okay? 21 wins gets it for you. So, Johan had a 16-7 and seven record, in part because that 2005 Twins team couldn't hit its way out of a wet brown paper bag. It was just an awful offensive team. Johan had an ERA that was, let's see here, 70 points better than Bartolo Colon. He pitched 10 more innings and had 80 more strikeouts than Bartolo Colon. Yeah. He beat Bartolo Colon in every meaningful category except win-loss record, which is mostly a product of how much run support you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he, if if you know if he had three more wins or something because the offense was better, Johan would have had a third consecutive Cy Young award, which might even put him higher up in this conversation. And to, to the caller's point, too, we're not even arguing the case necessarily that he belongs in the hall right now. Yeah. We're saying he's no longer on the ballot. It's an exercise in what criteria matters. Yes. That's what this is. Yes. But, I mean, it's very important to, to keep in mind in his first year with the statistics that you just went through, and so did I, it's important to recall now that he was taken off the ballot after one year. And to me, that makes no sense. Yeah. Also with the Mets, keep this in mind, too. So his first year with the Mets, I think people think, oh, his time with the Mets was a disaster, right? Well, yes, over the seven years, he gave them three years of quality pitching, and then he was injured for most of the other uh, time on that contract. But his first year with the Mets, he led the major leagues in ERA, game started, innings pitched, like he was lights out. Yeah. And and he throws the no-hitter in, I want to say, 2010, and his arm gave way. So let's just think about what really matters and how much longevity should factor in here. In football, longevity doesn't matter nearly as much. Terrell Davis or uh, or Terrell Davis was really good for like four years, and he led, right. and, he, and he ran for two thousand yards, and he it wasn't even a thought. His career ended four years before it probably should have culminated. Largely if not because one. why? Because he won championships too. Of course, and it matters. And that's it. Yeah, it for sure matters. But a guy like that in the NFL, and the NFL is a sport that you're, you you live with shortened careers much more often. 
Uh, but nobody blinked. They put him in the Hall of Fame. Nobody blinked. So I, I wouldn't even die on the hill if he should be a Hall of Famer. But I will die on the hill of we should consider peak greatness a lot more than we do. And I, I told you, my baseball problem is that, that there is not a rhyme or reason necessarily to how people vote. Like you got some people who want bonds in, so they, they mark him. You got some who are protesting bonds, so they, they won't. There should, it would be nice if baseball had a system to have some consistency, at least, because right now, you don't know. From, yeah. from voter to voter, you don't know. Yeah. I'm going to give you one more here, okay? We haven't really gone deep into the stat weeds too much here, but they have something called War 7 that they use to, to quantify a seven-year stretch of greatness by any individual baseball player. Uh, it's, it's your wins above replacement, which is which is uh, era independent. So it's it, it takes into context the era you played in and the stadiums you played in. What was your wins above replacement, your best seven-year stretch? Okay, let's just simplify it to that. What was your best seven-year stretch, your peak? And if you rank the guys on the 2018 Hall of Fame ballot, Barry Bonds is number one in just peak seven-year stretch. Roger Clemens is number two. Kurt Schilling, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones had an amazing peak. And Johan Santana is sixth. Ahead of Hall of Famers, Jim Tomey, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, <laughs> near Hall of Famers like Mike Mussina and Larry Walker, and who are some other near guys? Omar Vizquel has 40% of the vote. So All of whom played for a long time. Before uh, yes. That first part of that, that list is what? It's either championships or it's championships or um, or guys who played for extended periods of time who get to that 15-year threshold that the caller was talking about. Okay, Carlos Zambrano was on the ballot, too. Remember that guy? He didn't Everybody's get any votes, on. But the ballot's Zimbr- incredible. <laughs> the ballots are hilarious at times. Uh, Carlos Zambrano. I love that guy. I would just, like, scream at the Matt ball. Matt Wallback, and, maybe. No, he didn't, he didn't quite make 90s twins get, get on that ballot. Uh, let's come back and talk with Derek Wetmore. Okay, Jake Cave. Has Jake Cave surpassed Byron Buxton? If you're making a, a list of players that are going to start at each position for the Twins next year, has Jake Cave surpassed Byron Buxton? Honest question. Let's talk to Derek about it when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Dirk Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Give us your thoughts on that. Absolutely ridiculous. Mackie and Judd. I ain't putting up with that. On 1500. We have to put up with that nonsense. ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Talking twins. All right, let's get Wetmore in here from 1500ESPN.com, Touch Em All podcast. And um, welcome to the show, by the way. Hey. Hi, Derek Wetmore. Thanks, Thanks for having me in. Judd and I were going to kick this around, but we were going to do this earlier in the show, but our Johan segments have just been, we've just been arguing, I think mostly with straw men here, but we want Johan Santana to have had more consideration for the Hall of Fame, but now he's off the ballot, so that ship has sailed. Here's a question for you. Jake Cave just hits a grand slam over the weekend. Jake Cave now has an OPS of close to, what's my math here, almost, let's see, 483 carry the five, like an 800 OPS. He plays center field with reckless abandon. Byron Buxton hurt minor leagues, no production. Has Jake Cave surpassed Byron Buxton as this team's center fielder on the depth chart 2019? What are your thoughts? No. 
Okay. No, I don't think he has. And I think, Judd, how can you let him just do math on the fly like this on the air? We we shouldn't you stand think I have for this. Ma- I have no math skills should, whatsoever. I don't, care what he, I don't care what he does. I felt benilled. All right. So, I, look, Jake Cave is a nice player, and the Twins did well to add him to the organization. I think depth-wise, this actually helps them quite a bit. This is... This, to me, is hedging for if Max Kepler doesn't develop to what you think he's going to be, or or if Zach Granite's just gone and, and you never hear from him again, which seems like is the case now. So you need guys like Jake Cave, but Byron Buxton is in a different class. Like Yeah, there's a lot of variability to what Buxton could be this year, next year, five years from now, but you can't replace that type of talent with a guy who... Who's had a nice little debut here for the Twins? Talent-wise, though, I don't think it's that close between Byron Buxton and Jake Cave. So for 2019, I, here's what I'm doing, guys. I'm making a leveraged bet on Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton saying, great, if you guys are superstars, we've got the team around you to go. And if you're not, this is going to be a tough climb out of, the, out of the, where the Twins currently find themselves right yeah. now. Can we get back to Buxton, please? Well, sure, but I feel bad raining on J.K.'s segment. Like. Well, no, I mean, J.K.'s a great story. Good for him. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm glad he's doing well. But our guy, Jake DePew, uh, talked to Falvey, obviously, about a lot of subjects involving the Twins. And he posted a story in the past couple of days at our site about the fact that uh, Derek... Falvey now says that the leg kick is going to stay at least for now with Buxton. So when he comes back now, he's got the leg kick back, which he had for a while. And then he and Rousen, if I recall correctly, last year got rid of it. And Buxton uh, excelled from July 1st on. And then he struggled again. Anyway, long story short, when are they going to decide on on a plan with this guy as far as i mean at some point they have. at some point in time it's a leg know, kick it's know, highlighted but in at the some story. point but this is ridiculous now <laughs> you you're still i mean we know for a fact that byron buxton spends too much time in his own head right so now we're going from the major league hitting coach got rid of the leg kick okay that's all well and good and you're hitting again to you're not hitting again so let's try this again at some point in time here we've got to settle on a plan for this guy at the plate cuz this is ridiculous now I think that the leg kick is overplayed. I think we talk about it too much. I think big league hitters think about these things a little bit, but the number one thing that they're thinking is, where are my hands, where is my head, when the pitch is at the point where I have to make the decision. And that's all that matters to these guys. It's a timing mechanism for him, the leg kick. Yeah, and and it's a power thing too. I think Mm -hmm. if he thinks he can get his hips through better and his hands are traveling faster, well, that's going to be more bat speed, that's going to be more power. Great. But if you swing and miss at 40% of the pitches, like it, the powers doesn't matter. You're not Joey Gallo. And so I think that's what the Twins are sort of in limbo on. Are you trying to develop this guy having some power? Or you just need him to make more contact at all costs. What's weird about Byron Buxton, Judd, and why this is... So this is maddening just on the surface level, but if you dig a layer deeper, it's even more maddening if you're the Twins. Well, thanks for that. Here you go. You're you're upset, and I think a lot of people are upset because of the inconsistency. Yeah, there have been some injuries, but like offensively, you can't say this is all because of injuries. Like there's been a very real step back that Byron Buxton has taken, and now we're all asking the question: Forget is he a superstar? Is he a big leaguer? Is he a big league starter, everyday caliber center fielder? We're asking that question right now. You dig a layer deeper, and I, I personally think that it gets even worse because in the months that he's been excellent, that he's been that superstar, gold glove caliber defense, probably the fastest guy in the major leagues on a good day, hitting everything. He's also hitting for power. 
That's what's so frustrating about it. You remember two Septembers ago, power surge. I think he hit nine homers if you include the inside the Parker. Last year, August and September, power. So then you come into this year, and not only has the power gone away, it's the contact has gone away. He's striking out all the time. He's finding himself in one-two counts. He's twisting himself in a pretzel, and it's just not there for Buxton. Yeah. To me, that is the most maddening part, that you don't necessarily have to decide contact or power because when he's on, he's had both. How do you get him on? I don't know. Yeah, the, here's the other thing. That I, I've heard just sort of speculation and debate. Should they just shut him down? His his wrist is a problem, and you know it's a, it's obviously an, a nagging injury that won't go away. They should just shut him down for the year and wipe the slate clean. I think that would be a huge mistake. I you, agree. You can't go from like June until April. You can't go 10 months and not see a major league breaking ball or a major league changeup. The, what I would do is, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get the wrist to feel better. I would sit him for as long as, sit him for four weeks right now to get the wrist better and then call him up as a September call up. And if that means, because there's a service time, you know, clock game that could be played here too, where he only needs 13 more days of service time this year in order to, you know, no, get to no, the no, next no, year. No, 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 you can't play that game. I, I mostly agree. I mean, if it's, if it's borderline and the wrist is still ailing into September, okay, like maybe you consider shutting him down at that point, but. He can't just end his season without seeing more major league yeah. pitching or you, AAA pitching for that matter. You can't play that game. And the simple fact is if you don't fix him, if you don't solve this yeah, Rubik's Cube, matter. then service time is irrelevant. Correct. Yeah. It's, you're That's not wondering, not you're, exactly. you're not wondering what you. year he'll become a free right. agent and but, what year you get ARB control. Yeah, but like, you like, need you know, to if, fix this first and foremost. If you shut him down, and I don't know where you stand on this, Judd, but. Sounds like you and I agree. You can't shut him down. Can't shut him down. If the wrist doesn't get there, that's a different conversation. What Smalley said is right. Both Sano and Buxton need to continue playing. Yeah, Yeah, Like like you're not taking time off. So Smalley came on our show last week and he said, this is going to sound unorthodox. And obviously you'd have to get buy-in from the players. But but Sano and Buxton need to face major league pitching or professional pitching this offseason, whether it's a winter league or some, some other structure where you're bringing in like a retired but recently retired major leaguer or whatever it is, like they can't go the whole offseason and not hone their swings and hone their approaches. Yeah, and I don't know what that does for a guy's approach in terms of what does he bring in spring training, but it's got to be a consideration. I think everything has to be a consideration. Um, Miguel's in a little different spot, I think. I I don't know if you guys agree this past week or so, the the innings that I've caught, the games that I've seen, like he looks like a real player again. He, he looks does. back well, he, to being he's at lost, least close to Miguel. He's lost Sano. weight, and so, but but I think I think what you have to do is you have to have a plan where both of them continue to play for a while now, and and you had you need buy in from both of them. And with Buxton, I think he'd be fine. But you need buy in that they are going they are going to allow you to monitor them throughout the winter. Like you well, can't have them disappear right, for long periods thing. of time, right? But I, I'm just saying. Roy's point was this can't just be uh, play a little bit and then we'll we'll see a Twins Fest and then spring training. So you need buy-in from both these guys that this is a crucial winter for both of them for different. I mean, with Buxton, I don't have a fear that he's not going to work hard, but both of them need to be under your watch for extended periods of time, I think, in order to show up at spring training with the best chances yeah. to succeed. And I don't know how that works with the union. Like, I do think you'd have to be cool with that. On mm-hmm. You'd have to have not just the players buy in, but multiple people. Miguel, I'm not so worried. I don't think he needs to see a pitch between November 1st and February 15th. And, and he can just, if he's like this 
And let's say he keeps trending in the right direction, conditioning, defensively, base running. I feel like he's moving around better. Saw him run out of the box hard on Friday, which we didn't see all the first, you know, however long he was up before they sent him out to Fort Myers. I'm not as worried about that because his pitch recognition skills, when he's on, top of the, like, one of the best just behind Joe Maurer in terms of the Twins lineup. Byron Buxton's got the opposite problem. Byron Buxton, nobody's questioning the want to. There's nobody that works with Byron Buxton on a daily basis that says, like, "Ah, I'm not sure if he wants to be great. You'll never hear that. And I'm not saying, like, like, there's just no comparison in terms of what the issue is. And so that's what's frustrating. If you're the Twins and trying to fix, quote-unquote, Byron Buxton right now, it's a pitch recognition thing. It's a contact. It's can you get your hands to the ball? And those are such very simple elementary building blocks that you've just got to throw your hands up at sometimes being being frustrated. I will say, in Buxton's defense, the injuries have played a huge part, not only in this year, but his career. We could play this game all day long, go back to the minor leagues, look at the extended period of development that he missed just because he was hurt. And so you start to ask, ah, is injury prone? Is that a question? Is that a problem? Is that going to follow him? Well, I don't know. I don't know if you can label players injury prone or if it's just randomness and bad luck working against Byron Buxton. But what I do know is that in the time that most players like Buxton, raw, athletic, supreme, top-of-the-chart skills, but not quite a full package yet, they get years and years and years to figure it out, and it always seems like it's something with Buxton. Yeah, I'm, I'm not out on him. I'm not done but I don't know what the plan is this winter. I just don't think you can give up on 2018 because he's so important to your 2019 and beyond. Something else of note, too. When you play that position, center field, and your game is predicated on speed, there's, a, there's, a, there's an expiration date on how long that remains your top you know, elite attribute. Torrey Hunter was the best center fielder in baseball, but by the time you get to be about 29, 30, 31, your straight line speed starts to go away and you move to right field in your early 30s. I mean, Buxton is no longer a 21, 22-year-old kid. Sure. So let's go into 2019, and that was he'd be 25 in 2019. I think that's think that's correct. And so he might only have four years left of peak center field performance left. But when you called him up initially, you thought, oh, man, this is going to be like nine consecutive gold gloves. It's just going to be a decade of gold gloves in center yeah. field. And that's not the way it works. You, you start to lose your straight line speed when you get to be 28, 29, 30, 31, and it, and it deteriorates to where you have to move to the corner outfield spot. So even that, like they've wasted some of the best years of yes. his defense right now, too. But they really have Or to he hope. has wasted, not they have. A little bit of both. Okay. I don't yeah. think they're blameless in this. Sure. Um, I think that you're talking about an elite defender and an elite runner. And gosh, if he could just get on base a little bit. <laughs> well, that that's what we po- keep saying. Right. No, but there are two there are two paths here. Even succeeding, there are two paths. Yeah. I mean, the one path that I think we're sort of shadow boxing around is that he's just a bust. If Byron Buxton forgot how to hit and make contact, like you just can't play that. He's Billy Hamilton. That's fourth well, outfielder, that's there, fourth outfielder, maybe yeah. like the mm-hmm. the ninth hitter on a bad lineup. That that would be a a really, really bad outcome for the twins and obviously for Byron Buxton. There's a second path, let's let's call it just like down the middle. That's like a serviceable player. Hey, get on base just a little bit, gold glove defense, got the arm, you really change the game in that aspect, and then when you are on base, you create havoc. Mm-hmm. Nice. We'll take that. He's whatever. He's the sixth or seventh best player on your team, on a good team, and you're thinking, cool, supplementary piece. 
Well, then there's this other one that we've seen for stretches, and it's tantalized Twins fans for a number of years now, really since he was drafted in 2012, which was superstar, which is you hit 300, you get on base at 375, you hit for power, 500 or more slugging, you're hitting 25, 30 home runs in a year. Oh, and by the way, that's from a gold glove caliber, fastest man in baseball center fielder. That's a huge range of outcomes. I was talking with somebody last two, three weeks ago, maybe. Said, well, you know, it's kind of like this conversation started with Byron Buxton and we got to talking about the NBA. And they said, yeah, I mean, but there's still the possibility still exists that like this is the Steph Curry, Ricky Rubio, Johnny Flynn draft. And the guy said, right. But right now he looks like Johnny Flynn. I said, yes. But the question is, is Steph Curry still in there? The guy throws his hands up and he says, at this point, I'll take Ricky Rubio. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think that's yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is like, is he going to be serviceable? Is he going to be great? Or are we going to say, oh, remember what could have been? One day, are we going to be saying that with Byron Buxton? I, I don't know, but that's the very real concern, I think, if you're the Twins right now. Yeah, and it's it's in, and also frustrating, probably not going to get many answers in the ca- the calendar year of 2018, regardless no. of what happens. If he shreds in September again, you're still going to yes. wonder, and okay, well. Hopefully for them, he's healthy soon. They're able to just call him up pretty quickly and get him some big league at-bats because, really, guys, the rest of this season— You've got to start working your way towards these answers. You can't just say, Absolutely I don't know. You do. we'll, yes. see. we'll see you in February. No. Yep. yep. Wetmore hanging out with us. We're talking twins. Find his stuff on 1500ESPN.com. Matthew Collar from Vikings Training Camp 2 in the new now. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Registration is underway for the 37th edition of the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon running from downtown Minneapolis to the state capitol grounds in St. Paul. It's happening Sunday, October 7th. Accomplish a bold feat while savoring the scenic beauty as two cities cheer you on. Run the most revered event in Minnesota running. It's the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Earlier this year, Oliver Drake pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers, the Cleveland Indians, the Los Angeles Angels, and the Toronto Blue Jays. And he will be the first person ever to pitch or play for five different major league teams in one season. Yeah, Drake originally came up with the Orioles back in 2015. He's worked 116 major league games. This is his 26th this year with the four other ball clubs. Thanks, Bert. Appreciate that. I'm no, sure that there was more where that came from, right? Who, who drafted him originally? There had to be more. Baltimore did. What's uh, his win-loss record? Oh, my goodness. Year so, by year. So the Twins got that going for him. Oliver Drake setting a major league record for for being a journeyman. All right, we were just talking during the commercial break here. Obviously, the, the, the Twins with two months to go, it's... Not, it's not a death march in the sense that some of these other seasons have been to 100 losses. They're still going to put up a fight. They just swept a bad team. But who are the main auditioners here that you're interested in? Derek auditioners. I, like, that's the perfect term because that's what the final two months are. It's, okay, ship has sailed on the postseason. And you kind of want to figure out, are your good players going to continue to answer the Is Eddie Rosario going to continue to be an all-star caliber player? When the games don't aren't perceived to matter as much, that I want to know that. But throwing that aside and just saying, okay, we think we know what Rosario is. We we I mean we think we know what Joe Maurer is at this point in his career. Pretty much everybody 
has to be watched. Pretty much everybody is putting their resume on display every night right now. I mean, Logan Morrison's got an option, which I don't know that you pick up right now, but you know, hot hitting. I'm good, for, I'm good on that. Yeah, option. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm good saying on that. Option. It's been fun. It's been fun. Lomo. He, that dude's gonna wind up with 25 home runs, though. He's gonna. He's That's gonna what I'm play. saying. Gonna, like a little hot hitting. Maybe his yeah, uh, no. that bomb he hit over the weekend still hasn't landed, and it is fun when he when he's in that mode. It is kind of fun to watch. But thanks for showing up when the season mattered most. I know. And if you pad your stats going into. What's likely to be free agency again for him? Then. Hey, sometimes volume scoring is important, boys. So I, that's that's just one example. That's not the first person I'm I'm watching. I'm just kind of looking around the diamond and like you do want to know is Maurer coming back? I'm also looking. Does Maurer catch Killebrew in terms of times on base? Sid had Sid talked to Jim Polad last Great. week and, yeah. and got the and got what I think is the God's truth. Okay, let's hear it. Joe Maurer is coming back if he wants to. What 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 did Jim say? Jim said that is up to the Maurer family and they will make a decision. It's going to be up to Joe Maurer. Can I say something about so, media covering sports just quickly? I mean, of course. Yeah. Okay. So you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, Judd. Sid will just barge into somebody's office, yeah. and I think every once in a while, they say something that they either don't mean or like might not be truthful. They just need to give Sid an answer so yep. that he'll go away. I mean, no, Jim, I don't know what that okay. meeting was like, but I was sitting by Sid when he got back from Polad, I'm gonna and disagree. he feverishly calls the desk and says, uh, Wednesday for Thursday, I've got something for oh, you. Yeah. This is going to be good. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with, with you on, on this. Uh, Jim, Jim Polad's quotes, while bland as can be, usually there's not deception there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying so. I I, tr- in this I, tr- case. I trust that this is the one player who's going to get to m- make up his mind what he's going to do. You remember Jim- four years ago when Terry Ryan told Sid that Gardy was back? Oh yeah, no GMs lie. I'm just saying Jim Polad. I think has a, has a history of if you get him, he's going to tell you what what he thinks at that time. Okay, and I do I do think that the one guy that he's going to say. It's up. It's up to him. Is Joe? What's up with the owners in this town? Not just letting the general managers they hire make. Yeah, the decisions. I was going to say, did Sid ask Jim about Joe Mauer's I'm expected weighted on base average? I'm with you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, okay. So as much I'm as not... as much as we mostly in this room disagree on Tom Thibodeau's style and philosophies, if you're Glenn Taylor and you hired Tom Thibodeau to be your president of basketball ops, you don't then overrule him on right. Andrew Wiggins. That's right. You just like if you're Jim Polad and you hired Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. Like, I'm okay with Maurer coming back next year, but that shouldn't be... Like, Jim Polad should delegate that decision to Falvey and Levine. He also shouldn't choose yeah. in the first week of August, yeah, what's going to happen. And and also, even buried in that quote, we don't know... Like, this just opened up a whole can of worms. We don't know if Maurer wants to come back for sure. So... That's correct. To be determined, I'm watching Joe Maurer in what could be the final two months of his Twins career. We don't know. Um, I want to see who's going to play second base next year, but I don't know that that person's on the 25-man roster right now. I want to see if Jorge Polanco is the shortstop that we thought he was the final two months last year. I want to see Miguel Sano. Can he hold on to what he's done in this past week here at third base? Is he a third baseman? I want to see Mitch Garver. Can he actually play behind the plate and then... There's just a whole laundry list on the pitching staff that I'm curious to see. Real quick, like 60 seconds sure. in, left in the segment. If you're Joe Maurer, and and there's two months to go in this season, less than two months, and some team, be it the Yankees or whoever else, got in contact with the Twins here before the waiver deadline and said, you know what, we'll take him, and uh, I mean, we'll give you like a player to be named later, but we'll take him and we'll eat some of the money to give you a little, maybe we'll eat some of the money and we'll give you a, a, like a C-level prospect for him. Mm-hmm. But it's Joe's chance to go play for a World Series on a playoff team. Let's let's call it the Yankees. I don't think he would do it, 
And it sounds like he, you know, just behind the scenes, it sounds like he doesn't have a lot of interest in leaving the twins, even for a two month rental. I would do it. Would you leave? Like if the Yankees said, I know you're a Minnesota guy and your family's in Minnesota and you love the twins. You went to Creighton Durham Hall. Wife's pregnant. You wouldn't again. go to New York for two months and chase right. a ring. Yep. Yep. And, and I'd still say, Catch you, yeah, catch you after the World Series. I know what Judd would say. Catch you after the World Series. I know what Phil would say. I don't think I would leave. Why? I don't think I would leave. Like what? I, to go win a World Series, to play meaningful baseball, and in the to go season. have a twelve point five percent chance to win a World Series as Better a than backup zero. first baseman. Really? As a backup first baseman, something like else. that. I'm saying. I'm saying. If I'm Joe Mauer right now, I'm pretty sure okay, he's what cool. What if I assured you that you could come back? It's going to be up to you. You're going to go. We're going to trade you. We're not going to get much back. Go go pursue a championship. Give him the Eduardo Escobar and deal, go, and we and we plan. If you want to come back here, there's a place for for you. So we're not eliminating yeah. your potential for playing. Yeah, again. then I might do it. I might be interested. I don't know. I don't think he will, but it's a no brainer. Look it. to me, it's just you got to figure out: is a guy motivated by World Series and stuff like that, or is is his legacy just one of the greatest twins of all time and did it all in one uniform? I think he's definitely motivated too. by a World Series, but I think it's World Series with the Twins or. Or bust, basically. I got bad news for you, then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go find Wetmore stuff on 1500ESPN.com. Touch them all podcast feed. Thanks for coming in, Derek. Yeah, thanks, guys. Dave, what kind of questions are you going to sling our way next? Extremely good questions, including one about a very important anniversary we celebrated on Saturday. All righty. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN.